Amen. So we are in week four of Seize the Moment. We're going through the book of Ephesians. And uh, I just want to say, uh, you may have noticed a theme that we've been rocking for several months where Pastor Reuben comes up after the first song and reads a psalm. Uh, and you might be thinking to yourself, like, that's a little different, uh, you know, in a normal church setting today, contemporary worship. There's not, you know, so they're not pausing to read a chapter of Scripture. Uh, but we have decided to do that uh, because we believe that there is a Uh, a fallacy that has really reared its head inside of the church, and that is this idea that the Bible is not authoritative and that the Bible is not the Word of God. And one of the reasons why that is able to be presented and accepted is because the church has become guilty of bringing the Word without actually using Scripture. And uh, we have a lot of topical teaching, a lot of topical self-help books, and sometimes Jesus' name is not even mentioned by some of these leaders. And so uh, one of the things that's just been on my heart is that we believe, we're a Bible-believing church, we believe the Word is authoritative, and so we want to make sure that we are in the Word. And so on Sundays when we come together, it's going to take several years but our goal is to move through the entire book of Psalms as a part of what we do in worship. And so sometimes um, I know that it will feel like we're coming right out of praise and into a, a psalm of sorrow, but it is God's word and we're trusting that God's word will speak. And sometimes it'll be moments of rejoicing and, and celebration. We want to be faithful to God's word. And so we're going to move through the entire book of Psalm. And what we are doing right now is we are teaching uh, through line by line through books of the Bible. Now, we're not going to do this all the time. We may break out and do some things that are are maybe less topical and more doctrinal. Uh, One of the things I'm looking at maybe teaching on is uh, uh, the view of the Trinity, right? But we want to, to be faithful to the text. And so going through this book, Uh, going through the the book of Ephesians, this letter that was written to the church at Ephesus, uh, we are getting a glimpse into what God was communicating through Paul to this group of people. And, And this is, it's such an encouraging word, but it's also a relevant word. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you that there are times it's really odd how like we will lay out what we're going to teach and uh, there will be aspects of what we're teaching that I'm not even really aware of the depth of it at the time, and then we'll get right up to where it's time to teach, and it'll feel like, man, it almost feels like what's happening in the world around us, like we just handpicked this to talk about what's happening in the world around us, and that is really what has happened here in the, uh, in, in the second half of chapter two for me, and, uh, and so I'm going to just be honest with you that, that this is something something that, that God has been doing in my heart, a work that he's been doing, things that I have been wrestling through that I'm going to try to communicate today. And I know that there are people who, uh, just even the fact that, that we're going to dive into the topic today, it's going to, it's going to be offensive. Um, and, uh, but that's okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. What I want to be is faithful to the Word of God, all right? I want to be faithful to the Word of God, and hopefully you'll understand. Qu- Quinn, are you in here? Uh, or Isaac, one of you, either, uh, Trey, uh, can you get me, for me, I should have grabbed this beforehand, um, 
my copies out of the back studio of Margaret Sanger's book. And Isaac, can you go grab me the, the book of Margaret Sanger and uh, Darwin's books? Can you go grab those for me real quick? Thank you. Isaac knows what I'm talking about. Um, I'm going to show you some stuff in just a moment. So, all right, here we go. Ready? So, letter to the church uh, at Ephesus. Uh, this is a letter that is encouraging, but it is, it is laced with some things that are very relevant. Uh, in, uh, we, we wrapped up last week here in chapter 2, verse 10 with this, this idea. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we talked about like this picture of before and after, right? Before and after. And, and Paul's going to continue this before and after theme. But this is what he kind of sums up uh, here in verse 10 is that, when, when you were not saved, you looked one way. Now that you are saved, right, you weren't saved by the things that you do, right? Your works don't save you, but because you're saved, you do things. You, you're, you're going to be engaged in ministry. And so the works don't save you. They are instead the fruit, right? The fruit, doesn't, the fruit is not the thing that makes you the tree. It is what you produce in this case. And so he says that if you're a believer then you are going to be somebody who is faithfully engaged in ministry, engaged in, well, that's what we would call it, right? But serving others. And to what end, right? And so uh, this is where, uh, uh, and hey, I need one more little help from Quinn if he's available. It is not showing the slides on here properly on the lower screen. If he could get that fixed for me, I'd really appreciate it. So today I'm calling this Understanding Peace understanding peace. What is peace? And this is something that I think is relevant in our society today, conversationally, as the topic of peace can come up and seemingly come up pretty regularly. So uh, chapter 2, verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now I'm going to pause here and tell you kind of what I have been wrestling with. And again, I am, I am confident that uh, it can come across to some as offensive. I'm trying to be very gentle in what I am saying, but I want to be transparent, right? Because I'm, I'm a human, I'm a child of God. So uh, we have watched over the, the last year a, uh, a, 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 a movement around uh, the race conversation. It's, it's showing the, the current, but not the next. It's just showing the same one on both. Okay, and so we led into the, the, the trial that, uh, that was taking place in Minnesota uh, around the death of George Floyd, and we were looking at uh, uh, Chauvin and whether he was guilty or whether he was not guilty. Now, here, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not up here to tell you how I feel about the trial. What I want to tell you is what happened after the trial that really has, has rocked my heart. And some people that I'm really close to, thank you very much, um, some people that I'm very close to know this because, because honestly, like, I began to think in terms during this of like, man, if I was not rock solid in my faith and I was an outsider watching this, like, there were some things happening that would potentially push me away from God. And one of those things was immediately following the, the trial, um, we had uh, a lot of uh, pastors, churches that were just kind of quiet, just watching what was happening. But we also had two other stories develop. 
One of them was pastors who were saying justice was not done, right? And so they became very outspoken, and maybe you land in that camp and you think that justice was not done. And so pastors and ministry leaders were putting out videos and commentaries saying that we need to pray that God's justice will be done because it hasn't been done. And then on the other side, we saw pastors and ministry leaders saying that if you aren't rejoicing right now that justice was done, you might not be a Christian. And so I watched as people stood on both sides and declared Jesus as being the center work of this and saying that here is proof that Jesus is not being glorified, and then another group saying this is proof that Jesus is being glorified. And and let me tell you what was so troubling for me was that how can people be so divided and claim that Jesus is on their side and not in the midst of all of it. And it, and it began to backtrace for me. I, I remember several years ago, there was a club near our um, outreach center, Red, and there had been an execution in the parking lot years before we were there. When I mean an execution, the way we were described by the cops is that the manager was brought out in the parking lot in front of a group of people and executed. So an execution. It got shot down, it got shut down and um, we came in and began to do the ministry there and state law says that if a church is operating that you cannot have a club or a bar within, I think it's 100 yards door to door. And so inside of the community, we've never really cared about that, okay, as a church, right? We've never, we've never been like, oh, we need to go fight this thing, right? I mean, bring sinners to the front door, man, we're all about it. People that need Jesus, we're all about it. But in this community, people that live in the neighborhood were saying, we don't want this to happen. This is dangerous. It's dangerous for our kids. We don't want it here. And so the church got really vested in this. We hired an attorney. We went to the city council meetings. We fought and we said, state law says it can't happen, so you can't reopen it. Well, in essence, we were, we were overruled. The decision was made that it would be allowed to come in. Now, Historically, it had been a place where drugs were sold regularly out of it, prostitution regularly, lots of crime. Okay, all those things happening. And when we were in there and we were representing the people that live in the community, and we were handed this blow saying, you, you, we're going to open it anyway, we felt defeat, right? And when, I, when we walked out of the city council meeting into the lobby, the people who were fighting to open the club we're gathered together and having a prayer meeting and dancing and thanking God. Thank you, God, for this victory. Thank you for letting us have this place. And I'm going to tell you, like, it's confusing, right? It's confusing. And so I'm sitting here and I'm, and I'm thinking, like, how in the world is that, like, like maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe, maybe this is going to be different this time. And, and, and unfortunately, I would say that based on the, the evidence of, of the fruit of it, it hasn't been different, right? We've seen deals going down for drugs, prostitution, you know, stabbings, cops are there regularly, continues to be a place of violence. Carmen and I actually tried to go to it shortly after it opened, and we were denied entry. They were told that it wasn't a place for uh, a couple like us when we tried to go in. Now, now I, I, I began to backtrace even further, and I thought about, well, like playing sports, right? Now, I'm, you know I'm not a big sports guy, right? But I, I've, I've been around enough of it, and, and I break it down to even like two teams, right? And both teams back in the day before it was like a national hypocrisy to ask God to protect you, you know, teams used to get on both sides of the field or whatever in their dugouts, and they would pray, God, give us the victory, right? And then whoever got the victory felt like God answered their prayers. 
And there's this like, there's like this, this breakdown uh, that, that takes place inside of all of this that I, I fast forward back to this and I'm thinking, God, what is going on? Like, like people are like fist shaking at each other, angry, right? And still declaring that Jesus is the one that did this. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to go ahead and break your heart, okay? I don't have an answer, right? But as I dove into this, God began to really just show me some things. And again, so I hope that it is uh, 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 something that is not controversial in the sense that you don't connect with us. Uh, they're working on getting my slides back up. Uh, let me see. If somebody can bring me my phone, I think it's back there in the back. Isaac, I can uh, use that while he works on it. Run that up to me. Sorry about the technical glitch. Uh, all right, so let's do this. All right, so uh, let's go into here. All right, so chapter uh, 2, verse 11 says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hand. So, um, Let's talk about this picture of therefore remember. That's where he starts the thought, right? So I've been talking to you about the fact that Paul has really been driving in this point. You need to know who you are, right? You're not going to be any good to anybody else if you don't know who you are as a child of God. So if you're a believer in the room and you go, I'm a Christian, here's the thing. I'm gonna, I wanna just want to begin with that. I want to remind us we've got to know who we are. And when he says here, therefore remember, he is saying that knowing who you are requires remembering who you were, right? I tell my kids all the time. I tell people all the time. It says that in the last days, the enemy is defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, right? So the blood of the lamb's already been shed. So the only thing that stands between you and defeat of the enemy is your testimony, which is what? Remembering who you were, remembering what God did. That's the testimony of, of, of being able to say, let me tell you what God brought me through. And he says, so therefore, remember at, that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. And this is what kind of creates this unraveling for me here, is this word Gentiles. In the Greek, it is the word ethne. And, and it means a foreign tribe, right? So he creates this comparison. He says, you Gentiles, right? And then there is, you were the uncircumcised, and you were called that by those that were circumcised. So he quite literally breaks down two different groups of people here, all right? Now, when you look at this word ethne in the Greek, the, 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 the commentators, they tell you that this word comes from the word ethos, and ethos breaks down in the Greek meaning character that is used to describe the guiding beliefs or ideals that characterize a community, nation, or ideology. Okay? So, so this picture of what was a Gentile, okay, was literally just stating those that were not Jews, you were from somewhere else, some other nation. And then what was interesting to me is, because it kind of brought me down this, this rabbit trail, is, well, what, our, our idea of race, right? Where, where does that land inside of Scripture? And I, I'll tell you that I 
honestly have come on the other side of this with a little bit of conviction about some of the things that I have taught about race, um, because one of the things that was really interesting is that the concept of race is not actually something, if we want to be honest to what was being taught in the Greek, it's not something that's inside of the Scripture at all. Um, in fact, this word, the closest thing that we would get to race, okay, uh, ethos or ethne, it's found 163 times inside of Scripture. And listen to this, 93 times it is translated to be Gentiles, meaning that just quite literally not Jewish. 30 times it is translated to be of a nation. 37 times of the nations one time to be pagan, and two times to be people. But never once inside of here is there this image of the way that you look, right, or the, the cultural kind of background that you have is a problem. And instead, and, and here's the thing, and this is where the guilt comes, is that I look at like even the picture of the Samaritans, right? And we use the scriptures of the Good Samaritan or even the woman at the well, and, and we will preach this picture of how he's going into somebody that was racially different. But the, the, act, the actuality of that passage is not there. The Samaritans were the greater Israelites. They were the same, they were the same probably skin color, right? Because Israel was divided between the north and the south, and so Samaria was literally a, a section of Israel that just began to believe that God, they began to interpret the scriptures differently. And so the, the divide that was taking place among them was a divide that was about the way that they interpreted scripture. And, and if you think back, we covered this uh, when we were talking about Jesus around Easter, that Jesus comes to a town of some, in Samaria and they refuse to let him in. Why? Because he's heading to Jerusalem because that is where the crucifixion will take place and they don't believe that's where it's going to take place. So for them, there was a faith divide, right? But it was not this, it was a nation divide, but it was not this divide of race. So keep tracking with me for a moment, okay? So here's what I want to say. I, uh, this, this book right here is uh, the origin of the species, right? So th these are a two-volume book. Uh, if you pick it up today, it's a single volume. Uh, and, and this is something that when I was in seventh grade, it's the first time I ever heard about this um, as uh, evolution was beginning to be more and more, you know, uh, common in school. In fact, my, my science teacher had a, um, he was a hardcore evolutionist and an atheist, and he had taken a mannequin and glued hair to it uh, as a way of proving to us that we came from monkeys. And, uh, and, and, and let me just tell you, I've had some really intelligent conversations with people who are Christians and believe in, in, in some forms of evolution. And I want to tell you, I'm not here to slam any of those ideas, right? Um, the idea, that, though, that we came from animals is the thing that to me is close-handed. Like that's just, that doesn't, that's not a, a thing that we can kind of dive into inside of scripture. If you want to be an old earth creationist, thinking that the earth is, believing that the earth is billions of years old and that life kind of evolved around us, man, I'm not here to shame you on that, okay? If you're a young earth creationist and you feel like that God just kind of created it all and man at the same time, I'm not here to shame you on that. But 
when we talk about race and we talk about it in a modern context, um, I think a lot of times we have this expectation from the church to, to kind of do things a certain way. Charles Darwin wrote these books, and the reason that I have these is that these were written, these are copies from the 1800s, okay? Because there's a, there's a difference in them today than there was in the time um, that they were written. And so the, the original title of the book, and, um, I, and please don't be offended by this, um, The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. Now, how, how, how controversial would that title be if that were the title that they used in the public schools to say, hey, we're going to today study the works of the preservation of favored races, right? So very intentionally, because that's controversial to the narrative, that is deleted from the content that's presented today in public schools. And I'm, I'm not here, again, to try to shame public school or anything like that. I, it's just important to know, like, this matters. And so, so getting an, an older copy of it was really critical for me to be able to do that. I'm going to have these available. Please don't tear them up. They are expensive. But you are welcome to come up and put your eyes on it yourself following the service. But but that is a, a, a part of, 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 of kind of the race narrative that we have here in our nation. And then this is a first edition of The Pivot of Civilization by Margaret Sanger. And if you go and grab this book off of Amazon today, it has several rewrites in it, several amendments, because uh, Margaret Sanger believed that uh, the reason that abortion should be legalized was to help advance the favored race. And so being a proponent and lover of what Charles Darwin wrote, she wanted to see abortion as a way of what we call eugenics, and that is moderating or uh, controlling uh, the growth of certain races. And so when you believe that we are, uh, that we come from animals, right, then you have to believe then that some people are more evolved than others. And because of that idea that some are more evolved than others and some are not making the evolutionary jump, it creates this type of divide and hate, right? And it continues. And, and, and I'm, again, not trying to jump into all of what type of healing we need in our land. I want to be able to dive into what's happening here in this text and what's not happening. What's not happening here is this idea that there's all these different people groups and remember in Galatians, Paul says that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, right? Male nor female, rich nor poor. And I pointed out it's interesting that those three things are super important to our society, right? Right, right now we need to know what your gender is, what your financial status is, and what your race is. And those are just things that Paul says that those are three things that you'll be able to mark. That's just not Jesus, Jesus is not, there's in Christ, these things just don't exist. And, and then if you s say that they don't exist, then immediately you're, set, you're, you're being called a racist, right? So if you go, well, you know, I just, I'm not, I'm not into this division of race, well, then that makes you a racist. But those are all works of the enemy, I, I have to say. And I'm going to lay this out, bear with me, please. So, um, so, so, so we have texts that are popular right now and have been in our education system that, that honestly were built on perpetuating this divide. 
And he uses this language in verse 11 called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So he, he, he breaks it down. You're Gentiles, and there's two groups. There are those that are circumcised, and they reference those that are not circumcised. Two groups of people. And so two ethos, right? And here's the thing. Humanity rejects this idea. We reject this idea when we talk about us in a secular mindset that there are really only two groups of people because if we accepted it, then we would accept that there's either those that are in Christ and those that are not in Christ, right? Mark Driscoll, a pastor in Arizona, he says it this way. We have the Christian ethic, but we don't have the Christian convictions. Ultimately, we've walked away from the Bible and we've simply borrowed and stolen and robbed a few concepts that we think benefit us while we reject and edit those that we do not want to adhere to or abide by. And so we, we want to take the things that are popular, we want to reject the things that are not popular. And, and then here in verse 11, I'll, I'll kind of move on from here to the bigger idea. And that is that he says that you Gentiles in the flesh, called by the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And so this picture of flesh, right, is not a, a, an image of skin color. It, is, uh, it literally is human nature in the Greek human nature, the, the, the nature by which we exist. And, and, and then he says that, which is made in the flesh by hands. So he says, he's literally painting a picture that it was by the hands of man that the identifier was made, circumcised and uncircumcised. That's the old covenant. So under the old covenant, right, Jesus said that he didn't come to abolish the old, but to fulfill it and to bring us into a new covenant. So the old covenant, right, that was there is being fulfilled, and there's no longer a need for, by human hands, this circumcision to be done. It is no longer the sign of the covenant. Instead, it is, in, it is, it is a, Paul is saying that it is a spiritual covenant, and it is a spiritual regeneration that is equally gracious and sovereign for Jew and Gentile, for all of us, all right? And so the idea of equality was mind-blowing at this moment in history. We have, we have 200 years of living in a nation that's founding documents kind of call out this idea of equality. But this was not a, a common mindset at this time, right? The, 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 the Roman Empire did not see the rest of the world as equal. Now, among the Romans, absolutely, they saw all these devices, the, 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 this divide of race and where they're from. But, but Paul is saying that here, like, just God's not into that. God doesn't see us that way. God doesn't operate that way. And instead, what God says is, God says there's basically two groups of people. There are those that are in the covenant and those that are out of the covenant. There are those that are saved and those that are not saved. And Paul is saying, remember where you came from. You came from outside the covenant. This is the mindset for the believer. And now you are inside the covenant. So let's go on to verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So five things that he says are your testimony. The first one is separated from Christ. 
He says, remember when you were outside the covenant, you were separated from Christ, alienated from his community. You were an outsider to the covenant. He says you were hopeless. There was no hope. When you were outside of the faith, there was no hope for tomorrow. And then finally, you were separated from God. Separated from God. And so, what we remember, when we remember this, we now have the compassion needed to fulfill the Great Commission. When we remember that we were once on the outside, I was once on the outside of this, I, I was not connected, I had no hope, I had no real community, and then I was saved, and all of a sudden, all of the goodness and the, and the, and the, the fulfillment that comes with that was given to me, I moved from hopelessness to hope. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Again, two groups of people. He says those who were far off are now brought near. By what? The blood of Christ. And so Jesus, Jesus literally died on the cross so that anybody who would accept him would know him. And this is so important right? And, and I, I, I would love to say that this should be the most important part of the national conversation, but that would require the national conversation to acknowledge that Jesus is king, right? And so that, that is not where we're at as a nation right now, but it is where we should be as the church, and we should be able to understand that without Jesus, there is a divide. And the only way to bring people in, the only form of reconciliation that is real is through Jesus. His blood's been shed. I wrote down, appreciation is being thankful he paid the price. Entitlement is being angry we were ever there. And again, I'm thinking this week, like, about the fact that I want to have a heart of appreciation. I want to be able to say, God, thank you for what you have done right? God, you have been in a place. Let me tell you, if you think that I'm painting a picture that the home we lived in for the last eight to nine years was a place where we just walked around in choir robes and had communion all the time, I know you think it's what pastors do. That is not the case, right? There was plenty of fighting and arguing and disobedience and tears that were shed, but there were moments of laughter and fulfillment and happiness. And man, God is good through all of it in our lives, God is faithful through it all. Verse 14, for he, made him, for he himself is our peace. Now, this is where it gets good. If you're going to track with me, this is where it gets so good. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He is the peace, right, that has broken down this dividing wall of hostility. And the word peace in the Greek it means peace by implication, prosperity. That he is the one that takes us to a better place. He is the one that makes everything better, right? My life before was, my life with him is constantly getting better. And let me tell you what peace is not. Peace is not comfort. And we live in a world, I talk about this all the time, where, we, where the world wants to redefine words, right? And that's a really good tool for people. If they can redefine a word and give it a different definition, then they can take control of what's already written. 
But peace is not about comfort. And how can, I, how can I prove this to you? Well, I can prove this to you by the countless testimonies of those who have knowingly and willingly walked to their own death sentence for the gospel. Whether it is those who did it during the time of the apostles, those that would stand in front of Roman Colosseums, given the opportunity to denounce Jesus as Lord or be devoured by a lion. And you know what secular history tells us? These people were so crazy, they said, I will never denounce Jesus. And then in front of tens of thousands of people, they would lose their lives. We find people who are prisoners of war who are believers And they talk about being in a position of being tortured. And they themselves say that in the midst of all of that, because of Jesus, they had peace through the entire situation. Can I tell you, peace is not comfort. Peace is being able in the midst of incredible hardship to be able to go, this too will pass. Jesus is king. Tomorrow is coming. Right? Paul said it this way. He said, hey, to die, I'll be with Christ, right? But to live, I'll get to serve Christ. Either way, I win. Living can be difficult. But Jesus is the one that brings peace to us. And what does he say? He says here, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both, both one and has broken down his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. And here we have both. It is is Gentiles and Jews. This is what he says. He himself is our peace, for he has made both. Who are the both? The both are the two groups that he's acknowledging, those that are saved and those that are unsaved, those that are with God, those that are far from God. God has made a way for all of them. And it says, made us both one. One. And the idea is that in Christ we are united. So I, I have to think through this, like, like it's complicated, but the truth is that in the midst of everything that's happening right now in this moment of history, the Word tells me there is nothing that will unify us like Christ can unify us. Nothing can reconcile our people like Christ can reconcile our people. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. I'm blown away. I'm sitting here and I'm in verse 11 and I'm like, man, this is really odd. And as I'm diving in, it's like all of a sudden Paul just, he's just man, he's just going to stop and pause. He's going to sit here and and just keep diving into this idea that in Christ, what does he say here in verse 15? He says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And Paul says Paul says, just remember where you came from, that you were on the outside, but God was all about unifying us together through him and thereby creating peace and destroying the hostility. The hostility is real, 
right? He's not trying to say it's not real, like there's no hostility between people who are different from us. That's a real thing when you don't have Christ. But when you have Christ, it's a foreign idea. It is a memory. And how does he do it? By abolishing, verse 15, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And this word ordinances in the Greek is dogmason, and it is a decree or an edict. And if, I, I think that if we were to, to, to get real, we would say that's dogma, right? That, that these ordinances are things that man makes. They're not things that are made by God. And so when people go, well, I don't, I don't want to be a Christian because I'm not into all the dogma. Well, the dogma is what man takes and manipulates so that it becomes beneficial for him. And that's exactly why he words it this way, right? He says expressed in ordinances, not in the law of God, but in ordinances. What are the ordinances? They are the, the interpretations of Scripture that now have become, therefore, the law. It's what man has made. And what commentators say is that Christ, by his doctrine, abolished the ceremonial rites instituted by other lawgivers. And so the, the, they were famous for this, right? And, and you think about the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Inside of the Jewish community, they were political groups, right? So they were a political group. Both, all these groups leaning in and talking about the same God, right? But wildly different opinions divided in the things that they taught, the things that they believed. And, and what, what happened is, is that they created their own dogma, their own institutions and, 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 and ways of doing things. And, and what does he say? He has united us together and made peace by abolishing those things, that dogma that man made. And he did this so that Gentiles and Jews would be united and reconciled to God. He did this so that all of us, and let me just tell you, just, just give you some picture. I'm the outsider. I'm the Gentile. I'm not a Jew, right? I'm a Gentile. And maybe some of you in here, your Jewish descent, I would say, I would like to probably argue that the majority of us in this room right now are Gentiles. What does that mean? Not Jewish descent. So we have that in common right out of the gate, and yet God says, nonetheless, the old covenant is fulfilled in that. How does it get fulfilled in that all of us get to be united? And in verse 16, he says, by doing what? Killing the hostility. What is the hostility? The hostility is all of the man-made expectations we created that we couldn't live up to, and we constantly failed at. And, I, and this is strong language, right? It's not like he says, and doing away with it or closing the book on it. No, the word here, killing the hostility. The language that Paul uses is that it is dead. It has no life in it anymore, right? Inside of Christ, that hostility is done with. That division is done with. Verse 17, watch this. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So Jesus came and began to preach peace to everybody, whether or not you were close or not. What was he preaching? He was preaching unity. He was preaching for people to come together. 
And it is the very reason why he would go up into Samaria and preach the gospel, just like he would move through Israel, because he did not see it as being a message that was only for one group of people. It was a message for all of us. Verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And just note this here, this continued language of both, right? He's not just saying we or the group. He's continuing this because he's wanting to make sure that there, I get it, I get it that there's a divide that the world has and the world points to and they circumcised, uncircumcised, there's all these divisions. So I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't exist, but I'm telling you that we both, the two groups that exist in this context, have access in one spirit to the Father. And so it does not matter your ethos, your ethne, you have access to God through the Spirit. That is the unifier. That is the thing. It is, it is the Spirit of God that will connect us all. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Strangers here in the Greek, guests or entertainers. Aliens here in this text, foreigners or sojourners, and fellow citizens, meaning a native of the same town. He says that whether you were once a stranger or an alien, whatever your role was, you are now fellow citizens. You're a part of the same town. You have a new home. There is a, I'm, I'm going to end up preaching my wife's Mother's Day message next week if I'm not careful, right? We are a part of a new nation, a new home, and that is something that we should be able to declare and hold on to. We do not need to sit here and be ashamed of the fact that now regardless of where I grow up on this planet and what my cultural background is, if I love Jesus and you love Jesus, you're my brother, you're my sister, and that is an eternal thing. And so it's more than just good words to go that, to, you know, to, to say that a, a Syrian refugee who loves Jesus is, is closer to me in eternity than a doctor living on my street that hates Jesus. I have more in common with my brother that loves Christ regardless of where they were brought up, regardless of what has happened to them in their life, than I do with somebody who turns their back on God. It's an eternal unity that we have together. Verse 20, look at this. Fellow citizens, and then he goes here and he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And what does he say? Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. What did the apostles and the prophets do? They gave us the word. So the word quite literally becomes the foundation. The teachings they received from the Holy Spirit. This is why it's so important for us to be in the word. And why we have got to understand this is why it works to the enemy's benefit for us to not accept the word to be truth. Because you can build a house on sand, and you can build a nice house on sand. And we get a parable of this in Scripture, right? You can build a solid house on sand, but because the foundation is not solid and it is not deep, when the rains come, it washes the foundation out from underneath it. And what happens? The house collapses. 
We have homes here in our city that, that hypothetically were not built on sand. They were built on solid ground. And 20 years of existence have done what? Proven that the foundation was not laid properly. And because it was not laid properly, there are cracks in it, and those cracks make their way all the way to the roof line. And Paul, he says that, that this unity, this is, this is why this unity, man, I hope I can get this. I'm, I'm, God's doing something in my heart through this, so I, I hope you can bear with me because, like, I'm, I'm, I'm receiving as much as I'm trying to pour out right now. This, this picture of, uh, of unity that I believe that we are proclaiming and this picture of unity that we want to see in the world around us cannot, listen to what I am telling you, it can not ever exist. There will never be healing without a proper foundation. Every time the house gets built, it'll fall apart. Every time the house gets built, it will fall apart, and the next generation will pay the price. There is only one way for unity. There is only one place, and he says right here, it is built on the foundation of what the teachings, the Word of God given to us, the instruction. And when we gather that in and we, buy, we build a what? A solid foundation. And the cornerstone of that foundation is Jesus Himself. Jesus Himself. Now watch this. He says, you lay out the foundation, verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This is the second phase. The first phase is, the first phase is you're going you're gonna to have to get a solid foundation, and that foundation comes from the Word of God, obeying the instruction that's been given to us, not just taking the things that we like and feel comfortable and going, well, this works in our society, this doesn't work. I mean, I literally hear pastors use language like this. Well, there was no way for the writers to know what the world would look like today, and so we just don't need to pay attention to the things that we don't like. like that's, not, that's, not, that's not truth. God is, God is never changing. He's immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God, the creator who is intelligent enough to be able to map it all out and know what's going to happen. He knew, right? We're like, we, we know that there's nothing new under the sun. And we can be living in tumultuous times, and it's not a surprise to God, and His Word is still true. So when that foundation is laid, the next thing is in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And this reminds me of the story of the three little pigs, where the foundation didn't even matter, right? They, one of them built their house out of sticks, right? And I was trying to think, I needed to look this up. One of them built it out of what, mud or something? I forget, it's been a long time, right? What's that? Hay, hay sticks, hay, and then stone, right? And where did everybody end up? In the house built out of stone, right? So the, the, the wolf comes and says, little pig, little pig, let me in, not by the hair on my chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And then the wolf huffs and puffs and what happens, right? Because this right here, the whole structure was not joined together in the proper way. And because of that, the foundation was one thing, but the secondary issue was how it was built. The wolf was able to blow it down. Do you know what happens if we will, I think this is a great little analogy for us, if we will get our, our house built on the foundation and we'll build it right out of stone by every, every, 
every instruction that God gives us, we will not only be a ref, it will not only be a refuge for us, but it will, we will become a refuge for others because it uses this language, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And when we are unified, we are a picture of heaven because that is what it will look like in eternity. And when we do the work now and we operate this way and we talk this way, right, and we believe this way, we then become an image of heaven that is not something that can be explained from the outside. And watch this final thought here. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God in the Spirit. And this is what was so cool, is that when we do this hard work, right, and we are now unified, one body with one Christ, and we are what? A dwelling place, not a resting place. There's a big difference here. There's a big difference between being a resting place for the Spirit and being a dwelling place for the Spirit. A resting place is a place where you go to do nothing else. A dwelling place is a place where you go to prepare to do other things. And when we are doing this right, we become the sanctuary, the Ark of the Covenant, the very place where the Spirit of God dwells to do the work to unify others. And I just got to tell you, like I'm sitting here looking at this, and I was not expecting to get into to, to this content in chapter 2. But Paul spends verses 11 to 22, right? He spends these 13 verses Doing what? Talking about the fact that there is hostility and division in the world, but all God sees is those that are saved and those that are not saved. And he's, the invitation is that we will view the world this way. That the most, none of it matters if people don't know Jesus. And if they don't get the word of God in their lives, none of it matters in the end. We have got to be light in the darkness. And the Holy Spirit is the only one that brings true reconciliation. And I cannot give you an answer as to why the church is so divided today with some type of absolute uh, assuredness that I could say this is exactly what's going on. But I got to tell you, here's what I do know, is I know that if we will stay in the Word and rely on the Word, we will be in a place of not just safety for us, but safety for the world around us. And I am not here to tell you that there are not people who are hurting, there are not people who are mistreated, there are not people who need to be rescued. Those are, th- those are realities of the world that we live in. But there is nothing that we can offer that will do more than the peace that they will discover in Jesus. The hope that is found in Him. Peace not being comfort, but peace being a prosperity that is birthing within. Let's stand to our feet. As we close, I just want to pray with you. We live in a nation where the, the, the conversation right now is one that has a lot of uh, divide 
The same type of divide that Paul says in this scripture, right, where he says that it gets torn down. It's th- those divides, that are, they're dividing us. They're not unifying us. And, and I, w- I would love to tell you that, like, I have the answer to just go out there and fix it all, like the little magic phrase, and here's the action that you do. I don't have that, but I can tell you that the hard work of being Christians and believing the Word of God, and walking through some difficult conversations, and loving people, and being Christ-like, like, that is absolutely what will bring unity in your life. There have been several of these messages over the last year that I've, that I've preached, and uh, I've had a number of pastors in this community uh, call me up or bump into me in public and say, you know, hey, I was I got done with church on Sunday, and I, they turn on, some of them do, and they'll watch us during the week. And uh, I've had a number, a number of pastors tell me, like, I, I wish I had the guts to just preach the Bible the way you do. I, I got to tell you, like, I mean, I get heat sometimes for the things that I say, but I, the, the, getting up and preaching the Bible is just not a, a place of conflict for me right? Understanding it? Yeah. I mean, I want to understand it. I want to do the work, but getting up and, and reading the text and going into the difficult place is not a difficult thing, and I'm not doing that to shame anybody. I'm praying for our pastors to just have the boldness to, to uh, not feel that, man, I'm going to be attacked by somebody if I get up and, and, and preach this. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of bad teaching out there, and I, I'm trying to be as, you know, safeguarded as I can to make sure I am not in that camp. I want, that's why I'm, I'm sticking verse to verse right now. I got to tell you that we, I, we live in a divided nation right now. And those divides are, it's like a fracturing. And uh, I don't know what the end of it will look like. But I'll tell you this, you can't tell me God can't heal it. You can't tell me God can't bring a revival. You can't tell me God can't transform. You cannot convince me for one moment that God cannot bring us together and bring America back to the beacon of light that it once was, because it genuinely was. It may not have been perfect, and people are real quick to point out those things, but I'm telling you, like, the world has been greatly impacted by a nation of people who love Jesus and took Jesus into the four corners of the earth. And I'm telling you, he may, it may not happen, but you're not going to convince me he can't do it, and I'm going to be praying for God to do it that God will continue to bring reconciliation right here in our nation. Listen, uh, every week we give you an opportunity to be prayed for. We want to do that in a way that respects what's going on with the pandemic, but also is uh, in line with what the Scripture says. And so we have a prayer station at the back. Our prayer ministry team is available to pray with you. If you're sick in body, if you're experiencing emotional struggles, mental uh, struggles, uh, or even just spiritually, you're just in a, in a place where you just want to be touched from God. And it, let me tell you, it may not even be that you're in a bad place. You're just hungry and want more. Scripture says, go to the elders of the church, allow them to pray with you, lay hands on you. We're available to do that. There's nothing that's more important, though, than walking out of here today and really letting it resolve in your heart, letting it resolve in your heart that the, that the very Thing that will bring unity in this nation is Jesus. That has to be resolved in us. Jesus is the only hope. He's the only way. In Him, we, we, will, we will be victorious. So I want to pray for you right now. If you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes. Lord, we know that Your Word tells us that, that there is an Antichrist, a Christ that is 
false, a spirit that will rise up in the last days. We know your word says that. And you say that even now there are uh, other antichrists, those that would stand against you, they would be manipulations of you, just enough to bring destruction, that they exist and operate around us. And Lord, we know that there is a spiritual warfare that is taking place for the, for the souls of humanity, irregardless of the color of our skin, the, the, the background or our heritage. There is a spiritual war taking place to lay claim for eternity to us. And that it is your desire that all would know you and be redeemed and therefore reconciled together and taken away from that lie of that spirit. Lord, we want to be humble and we want to walk in righteousness, but we want to be bold with the Word of God, not afraid, not ashamed, faithful to be your church, not just here in these four walls or in the places where we gather to to comfortably study your word, but we want to be your church in the difficult places. We want to be the voice in the national conversation that says, Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only one that brings peace, and Jesus is the only one that brings unity. We need you, Jesus. We need you. And so we just, we pray against the lies of the enemy. I just right now just pray against the spirit that's at work dividing our nation. We know that it's not you, God. We know that it is not your, uh, your nature at work, but instead it is the enemy and the lies of the enemy. We know that you have allowed it to happen. We know that it does not happen without your permission, but we are also aware that it is a lie from the enemy. And God, we want to speak out against it right now that all would know you and your goodness. I pray that our families would be united around you, Jesus, that our community groups would be united around you, Jesus, that this body would be united around you, Jesus, and that we would be a light in this darkness. We love you and we praise you, and we thank you for all that you do. In your mighty name, amen, amen. If you need prayer, don't forget the prayer ministry team in the back. If you'd like to look at these books, they're up here for you to take a look at. As always, we love you. We'll see you next Sunday. Go change your world.